Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. Joining the Gearheads on episode 31 is automotive photographer and the creative director and co-founder of Wheelhub Magazine, Robert McGaffin. Uh, hell, we could just say, welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And joining us tonight is the Snapchat <laughs> Filter Power User of the Year for 2014, as well as being one of three men behind Wheelhub Magazine, which is slowly creeping up on closing out its first year of publication, Mr. Robert McGaffin. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming, man. I know you've yeah, been... Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. You have been one heck of a busy guy, especially with... Uh, trucking around and putting together a magazine with a team of uh what do you got three people three yeah it's just three of us yeah i mean that was one of the things one of our we we had talked when we put the beta out we had talked to a bunch of shops and stuff and that was one of the questions that kept coming up it's just three you right it's like yep <laughs> keeps it simple keeps it busy yeah uh, you know, do, do you want to kind of, do you want to start off talking about the magazine or do you want to start, you know, you want to go way back to the beginning when we'll Rob go, was just a young lad? Let, yeah, I think <laughs> we'll go back to the beginning a little bit more first. Let's, well, let's go that way then. So starting out, um, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. I mean, a little bit, you know, how do you go from, well, being, you know, obviously what's starting off is like, you know, a sperm and an egg and then, you know. <laughs> There's that whole process, which I'm sure somebody can look up on Wikipedia yeah. or WebMD if you want to get really scared. But, uh, like, how do you go from being, you know, a, a, basically a puddle of goo somewhere into a car-loving human being? That's an interesting question. So I guess I was the black sheep in my family. I was the only one that was really into that stuff. I always built models, and for some strange reason, I was always attracted to cameras. So I remember as a kid living in northern Wisconsin, I had to build models, and then sometimes I would put them in like natural environments with my little Instamatic and take pictures. And that segued into when I was in high school, I got my first SLR camera, and basically a 35 millimeter with three lenses, and I started messing around with it even more. And then college, I hit college, and I started I studied um, art. But it was mostly all photography. So um, I did that all the way up. And I started just, I thought it was going to be just like a pastime thing, not really a full-time thing. And I just kind of got the bug and just, that's what I majored in, art and photography. And then I started working as an assistant in Chicago in commercial studios. Um, back in, it was like early 90s, 91, 92, around there. I uh, did that for about five years and I finally got a couple of, or full-time jobs as a shooter in different studios. And then right around 2000, I was late. I was 2000, sorry, 2006. I got laid off my last job 
and been doing car photography ever since. Okay, so you start off like obviously as a kid, you're you're shooting models and stuff like that. Um, I just wonder if there's somebody out there working like in the adult magazine industry who's like, I also started shooting models, mostly from right. across the street through a telescope. One of the, well, one of the first places I entered, one of the first places I interviewed out of college was Playboy in Chicago. Oh. I was trying to, I was trying to push you into that, man, because this is, <laughs> it's a cool story. Yeah, no, it's, they had a, in Chicago, they had, a, they had a commercial studio. So all the ads that they would see in the magazine that you'd see were done in Chicago, for the most part were done in Chicago. And so actually it interviewed there a couple times and for freelance and for a full-time gig. Um, but they ended up moving that out fairly shortly after I interviewed there. So that would have been a cool job. I, I, um, I always loved the commercial stuff. Um, the one student, my first studio I assisted at and then I'm getting a job at, we were, it was a place called Shigeta Associates in Chicago. It was at the time the oldest working commercial studio in the city of Chicago. And I think in the United States, as a matter, as a matter of fact, they'd been around since like the thirties, forties around there. And, um, it was a film production studio and that turned into their commercial studio. And we were using such antiquated stuff. There was a, I mean, the power packs that we were using was everything like a um, company called American Speed Corps Corporation. So these things were these big capacitor banks. They're probably the size, I don't know, they're probably like two or three feet long and about probably two feet high. And there were several of them, and you could pump out 15,000 watts per. If you, if you combined them all, what you could do 15,000 watt seconds through one light. Oh wow! <laughs> so that sounded like dynamite going off in the studio. It would actually burn the dust in the air. You see carbon dust when we did. We did that a couple of times. We had a, we had one light that you could pump that through. It was pretty amazing. Everybody has to wear welding masks. <laughs> yeah, just about. Yeah, we're, well, well, when you're shooting, you're shooting, we were shooting portraits on eight by ten cameras. So they were eleven by fourteen cameras on bystands. They had an eight by ten reducing back, so you're shooting hundred speed film, and you had to have like depth of field like f thirty two f forty five. So yeah, it took a lot of power to do that. So I always wondered though, do you ever do anything at such a like just a slow exposure that you're like, okay, I'm going to set up the camera, you don't move for twenty five minutes. Yeah, I'm going to go grab something to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually want to do that with car um i've been dabbling in um milky way you know, astrophotography a little bit of just the milky way just simple stuff awesome. and I've, I've been wanting to do that with a car so bad i mean you have to be a composite to really do it right but that'd be something that's one of the images i want to try to get hopefully next couple of years so who were your early influences as far as photographers Oh, that's kind of a difficult one because there were so many really good ones. Um, I mean, I always followed some of the early guys like Alfred Stieglitz. Um, I studied him quite a bit when I was in art school, wrote a paper on him. Um, Annie Leibowitz has always been one of my probably more favorite ones in terms of she does such an epic, epic shoots. Um, everything is just, it's hard to describe. And I've seen some of her work in person and it's, incredible i always thought it'd be cool if you could combine her work with like a 3d scan of uh, keith richards and yeah. do like something like an annie Leibowitz kind of photo shoot with his face 
and like a camera moving through it so you think you're on some like distant planet moving through caverns and stuff (laughs) (laughs) you just travel back in time to you know through like all the decades and all the damage he's done with cigarette smoke it'd be just anyway so you're saying the moon landing was filmed on on his face (laughs) (laughs) he's got enough craters all in miniature hey although i do kind of resemble that noise so yeah i feel for you keith if you're listening sir i'll listen to this like 15 years from now yeah but i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off that was horrible i just heard annie lee levitz and i went holy sh!" i was like well that's all right no some of my other favorites i don't know if they're influencers in what i do now but um i mean there's a there were a couple of well-known um I mean, Jamie Azell in Chicago was another big one that I used to follow. Uh, Steve Grubbin was also another one. He's unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Um, and, of course, like for landscape stuff, I've been you know, channeling my inner Ansel Adams lately, trying to. Cause that's, I like to do that stuff for some, just for fun, you know, just to get my mind off of everything. Sometimes you get overwhelmed with cars after a while. So it's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, yes, really, very difficult to believe. <laughs> you get overdosed on them, that's for sure. Yeah, on some days, yeah, some weeks when, actually. When you do it for a living, and yeah, we can we can all relate. You just sometimes just want to not want to look at one for a while. Well, some of the car builders, have, a lot of car builders don't have their own cars for that reason. So mm-hmm. there were years when, as a hot rod designer, I used to show up for meetings driving a minivan two car seats in it so there's nothing cooler than that i gotta tell you let me teach you how to make your car awesome while (laughs) driving my minivan (laughs) i've got a subaru so oh so you do oh i'm not going there (laughs) (laughs) oh miss you collect bumper stickers so moving (laughs) on (laughs) only my pelican case So personality-wise, I, I know being an artist and all that, I, I've always been kind of a um, an introvert. I mean, I know you're like, but you have a podcast and this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it's weird. But so like as a photographer, um, do, I mean, obviously you have to be out there really dealing with the public on a daily basis, especially for shoots and trying to organize that kind of thing. Yeah. Are you, do you find yourself more introverted or extroverted or are you an introvert that has to pretend he's an extrovert? I'm not sure if I'd be classified as an introvert so much. I mean, I'm generally pretty shy overall, but I've really had to, you know, when I first started doing this, um, I first started out with pop through high riding and I was then, you know, I had to go out and find the cars and talk to the people and make, you know, talk to, you know, talk to the owners and try to convince them that, you know, I'm legit and all that stuff. Cause a lot of times they were just, a lot of their times they would get these bullshit stories. And, you know, I, I really had to come out of my shell. It's still hard sometimes, but I think I've, I think I'm a lot better at it. I, I mean, hopefully I'm at, but, um, I mean, I generally like to be social, but I get, like I said, sometimes I get withdrawn and shy. So sometimes it's a little hard <laughs> at times, but, <laughs> Especially if it's somebody you really look up to, it's like you start turning into Jello, and <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, 
Well, okay. Think, speaking of that, now have you have you had an experience where you like you totally fanboyed the situation? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Would Several you like times. to tell the first story? Actually, Our listeners yeah. would be interested to know. It was actually the first time I met Troy Trepanier. I was at SEMA in '04. Um, a friend of mine was a SEMA member and got me a badge. That's how I got in. It was before I was in the industry, and put me on a pass, and I got a pass. Um, and I walked around the show and that was, a, I mean, if anybody's, any of your listeners have ever never been to SEMA, I'll tell you, if you ever go for the first time, your freaking head's going to explode. Cause I was in hot rod alley and I was just like, I walked into, I mean, I was in there 10 minutes and I turn around and I look at, and there's Mike LaValle and I'm just going nuts cause I really love what he does. Um, talked to him for a little bit. Then I walked about six more paces and I ran into Jack and Troy Japanier. And I talked to them for a while, and I was totally gushing over that one. Um, shortly after that, I ran into Steve Strope, and then I saw George Barris with his entourage. It was just like, it was all that within like an hour and of just being there, and it was just like, my head was just going to go, I thought it was going to explode. It was crazy. So, I mean, Troy was one of the, probably the first car builder that I've really started following since Sniper. Um, and he's always been to me, he's always been the guy in the industry because everything he builds is so top notch, but it all works mm-hmm. and works well. So, I mean, Chicane is still my favorite car he's ever built. And I've talked to Glenn about that car recently, actually, because it's something we want to actually feature. And that car, believe it or not, that's going to car to be 16 years old. You know what they should do with that car just to make it completely polarizing? Hmm do a totally modern rework on it and put like those JDM style flares on it. <laughs> like those models? A ton of camber. <laughs> Bozo Zuku. Oh, oh Shikano Zuku. This, oh, dude. <laughs> Troyo Zuku. Oh, but this is better. Okay, I'm going to call oh, him yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. That, that car is, to me is like one of the most... I mean, that car was so far ahead of its time. If you take that car to... You could take that car to um, Columbus next year, and it probably win. I mean, it's that one to me. The two most pinnacle street machines are Chicane and GeForce Cuda. Those yep. two were, were so far ahead of their time. Yep, I totally agree with the Cuda. That is still probably my favorite Cuda ever built. Oh, I have to. I'm right there with you. Yeah, and one actually, of the first and still the best. Actually, oh. I was working for my Brian, my friend Brian Sapp at the time. When Glenn, he had, we used to shoot all the billet stuff. My friend Brian's been shooting Glenn's stuff since Glenn started the business. And he came back to the studio one day with a couple of wheels and a few parts. And he told me that car was, he just bought the original car from this little lady in Alabama. And it took me, I've been, I mean, I followed every step of that build. Um, through media outlets and whatever, and then just from my friend Brian telling me when he met with Glenn, he told me what the progress of the car was, and it took me four years to see that car because every time I would go to a show that I knew it was supposed to be at, it never showed up. <laughs> so it was like my unicorn <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I was actually blown away. I, I was really, I was really heartbroken when he passed, and I realized at that point I had been. I've been working with those guys for like 10 years at that at that point. I couldn't believe how fast that time went because it still seems like yesterday that I met them at SEMA, you know, 
And Crazy. Troy, you're, you're saying what you're saying about Troy is exactly right because I told him what I was doing. I was a commercial photographer, but I'm kind of starting to get into the car stuff. Could I come down and maybe shoot some stuff? And he's like, yeah, anytime you want to come down. I've always had an open door policy with them. So he's been super great ever the whole time. They, um, they actually hired me during the first love build. Um, I actually documented that car going together right before, like literally the day before it left. I mean, I was shooting, I shot it for two weeks straight. I was there every day for about two and a half weeks during the last few stages of the build. So that was, that was a lot of fun too. I got to know the guys in the shop really well and met Great Scott group of guys. Yeah. I met Scott clean at that point. That was the first time I met him and he's another one I've always looked up to. So, that, that's a, a great family. I mean, that's the Colleen's are such cool people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, both got great senses of humor. Awesome people. So, okay. So, growing up as a kid, did you have a, a car builder you looked up to, or were you were you not into it in in that respect? No, I really. I mean, I looked at magazines occasionally here and there. Um, I was too much too busy being a kid. I think what really put me over the top with cars was we moved to Arizona to Tucson when I was in fifth grade, so I was about ten. And the first like the first six months we moved like I can't remember if we moved in the fall. I think we moved in the fall because I started school. That winter they had the winter nationals at the drag strip there. And we actually lived very close to the drag strip. And my dad was running a lumber yard in Tucson and a couple of the guys and one of the guys in the yard actually he and his son running gas rail that year at the winter nationals so they got me out of school for two days the, the, the two days prior and I stayed through the whole weekend I was on their pit crew so I actually posted this the other day on my Facebook I found a book that I got you know remember those book clubs thing I had in grade school and stuff well they had this one book called burnout and it was like Tom Hoover Don Perdome um Tom McEwen, Shirley Madonna, which is all these great drivers. And I actually took that with me and I got all their autographs, which is crazy. And I remember it was Don, Don, Don Perdome was still driving his own truck around at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I remember him taking me in his trailer and showing me a bunch of stuff. It was really cool. Um, I got to go down the chase, chase vehicle on the track a couple of times. That was pretty neat. But I think that's what really solidified it for me. I was really into drag racing at that point because – I kept thinking about the engineering behind those cars to go from basically a standstill at that time was like 200, 250 miles an hour, you know, in, in that short time span and 1,320 feet. It just, even today, it just blows my mind how they can get that much horsepower down the truck straight most of the time. Most <laughs> of the time. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And your average Mustang owner can't put 300 horsepower down to the ground without going. <laughs> and the cars line. and coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I got a question. Since you were in the drag racing, did you ever did you ever shoot much uh, much racing stuff from the starting line? I did. I have since um, when I started doing like a lot of the stuff. Um, when I first started out the popular high riding, True Street was a big deal with them. So I used to go to the I used to go to a couple of those events and shoot the True Street. But they always had you know they would have like top alcohol there, but they never had like nitro meth cars. I don't okay. know. I don't know if I could literally stand there for a nitromethane car because alcohol cars are bad enough. You know, they're they when they when they light off and go right past you, they're it's enough to push you over. So, well, for a few years, I used to get photo passes for the for the Winter Nationals and World Finals. I had a connection mm-hmm. to the newspaper, 
And uh, it's not real fun. I mean, you got to definitely have some balls to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause, I mean, because you flinch. You you don't have any choice but to flinch. Because especially no. if you've been around them long enough, you know the carnage if one blows up. So when it's as it's moving towards you, you're you're trying to get the shot and go, I don't want to die at the, in the same yeah. breath. Yeah, the, the alcohol car, top alcohol cars are, are pretty pretty brutal when you're next to them. Yeah. Well, they're leaving at such a high RPM. They're they're thundering when they when they hit it. Oh yeah. So do you know Mark Rebellious? Yeah. I love his top end stuff. I mean, he always sits at the top end of the drag strips, and I just love his stuff. That's a whole different set of wavos sitting down there. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, but I will pass. <laughs> I'd rather do that than the starting line. Oh, I'd rather do the starting line. Down there, <laughs> down there, you got nowhere to run. If it's going to get you, it's going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because really, when I think about it, yeah, the starting line, you're dodging parts. At the far end, you're dodging what's the left. whole car. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. yeah. Being at the shooter's stand at the firing range or at the target. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, motor, in, part of motorsports photography, probably my favorite is road course stuff. Because yeah. you can get cars sliding around corners and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's fun. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, would you would you ever want to do, like, you watch those videos online with those crazy dudes who are filming, like, the rally cars? Mm-hmm. Especially all the stuff, like, overseas seems to be completely nuts where they're like, okay, well, this road here really isn't even a road, but we're going to carve something out of it. And you watch some of these guys barely, like, car. I mean, they barely miss getting, like, hit by a car as it comes off the road. It's like they, they duck behind a tree. I mean, would you would you ever have any interest in being that guy? I mean, not the guy who's you know ducking behind a tree. I'm sure you don't head out <laughs> yeah. there specifically to do that, but yeah, I would do that. I mean, just be safe about it. I mean, I've seen a video of a rally car, a guy literally sitting behind a tree, and a rally car nosed in the tree right in front of him, the tree he was standing at. So it was pretty. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be that crazy, but. Oh, you spot, mean the, yeah. the video where the car wraps around the tree, where the guy's standing behind the tree? That one. Yep. Yeah, that's just crazy. It's nuts. I'd say the craziest thing to be a photographer or, you know, videographer, whatever you want to call it, would be like Isle of Man stuff. Oh, yeah. Where where the speed is, you know, forget rally stuff. These guys are doing, you know, 190 mile an hour. That's a whole different animal there. Oh, yeah. Those guys have a death wish. Yeah. I mean, I still think rally drivers are probably the best drivers in the world. Oh, without question. Absolutely. But those motorcycle guys got balls of steel. I can't. (laughs) I mean, I just couldn't imagine. (laughs) I would love to see that in person someday. Yeah. Yeah, those guys will get like, uh, you know, fork shake at like 150 mile an hour in the middle of a town in the Isle of Man. It's just like he's the bike's just shaking like crazy. He just kind of pulls one foot off of it, goes right back on the peg and keeps freaking throttle pinned. It's like, wow. Probably going 200 miles an hour at the time, too. And a lot of yeah. these guys that are riding that are guys we've in the U.S., we've never heard of these guys. But you yeah. watch these guys ride, and it's like, these guys are incredible. Yeah. That, that blows my mind. Like the, the braveness they have to have and just yeah. the skill, the focus. Yeah. I'm just... It's not uncommon every year for, you know, a couple of guys to, you know, not make it. It's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. Imagine that as a rider. You're trying to go as fast as you can, but, you know, there's always that risk, and the risk there is probably greater than at any other place you're ever going to ride. Yeah. Wow, yeah. scary, man. It's, that takes some real guts. 
my brain started wrapping around this whole idea of like niche photography because you're going, oh, there's like guys who specifically do like rally stuff and other guys who do drag racing stuff. <laughs> I just want, what is the weirdest niche you've ever heard of for like photography? Like the closest thing where you're like, oh, I only film, you know, number two pencils at 6 p.m. on a Thursday. And you're like, oh. Oh my God, I don't even know. Um, there's some crazy ones out there. You know, you get the stuff. I mean, there's like you know puppies well, dressed as like you know famous clowns through history or whatever they do, you know, that <laughs> kind of weird stuff. No, I mean there's nothing. I mean nothing that really weird, but I know that there's a a lot of the local, like here, um, University of Wisconsin, the the medical center actually hire photographers to do like surgeries and all kinds of stuff, um, whatever they need. So I mean, it's probably. Like, closest to weird i mean that's not so weird i guess but no that's quite a niche and i actually i yeah. had i had a surgery of mine photographed like that once so it was really cool um it's kind of neat looking at the pictures later i was like wow that's what my body looks like inside yeah i don't have the stomach <laughs> for that that's back when i was known as brenda <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> those parts are no longer on me but <laughs> They're in a museum somewhere in a coffee table book. <laughs> I donated them. <clears throat> well, I got to tell you guys, I'm pretty honored that you want to have me on. Um, I've known a lot of the guests I've, you know, either know or have gotten to know recently. I actually just photographed Chris Dunlop recently for Wheel Hub. Um, yeah. But yeah, Susie is a good friend of mine. Um, Chad's a good friend. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, Steve Strope. That interview was awesome. You guys did a great job with that. <laughs> He's a fun guy, man. He was fun. Oh yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. Um, actually, Steve's really cool. I The second year I went to SEMA, I took a portfolio with me because I was just starting to get into stuff. And I ran into him, so I showed him my portfolio. He was one of, one of the top five guys I wanted to shoot with. Um, and I've I'm almost got my list completed. I've got one more that I want to work with. Um, but I had my little portfolio. I made... You know, instead of just bringing like prints, I actually made like a photo book, like iPhoto. They had those books at the time you could do. You can still. So I made one because I thought it looked a little bit, a little bit polished and it was easier to carry around. He actually bought one right off of me because I had two of them, and he has a special place in his house that he has all his car books and stuff that mean something to him. And it's funny because I was just in California a few weeks ago. I actually stopped by his shop, and he told me then he still has that book on his shelf, which is pretty. Pretty cool. That was, I'm very honored by that, actually. So he keeps a picture of Brad someplace in a special spot in his house mm -hmm. too. He just won't tell me where. You know, yeah. In the parlor. It's <laughs> in the parlor. You may not want to know where. <laughs> parlor dungeon tomato tomato. <laughs> you know? I was I was just down there. I was just down there what a week ago doing some doing some pinstriping down there in Steve's place. Which car? Uh, it wasn't a car. It was a, it was oh. a little a little surprise project. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. We can't say I, I think a I word. Know the one you're talking about, but I won't talk about it either. There you go. Yeah, he actually had his Oldsmobile there, which kind of rekindled something for me because he had just finished the '64 Olds F85 for himself. Is that That's thing cool awesome car. or what? Oh, I love that car. Car's car's badass. It made it made me miss mine a little bit. <laughs> I had a 65. So. But did yours have USB ports and the ashtrays? No, unfortunately not. Same. <laughs> I kept my car very stripped down, actually. We built that car in popular hot riding for about five years. And kind of 
did the whole thing from I bought it running driving nice car actually drove I drove around for like almost a year before we started tearing into it we did a little bit at a time so we did suspension wheels and brakes and then we did motor and transmission and got it more and more to try to get it a little bit competitive for autocross and road course stuff because I was in the early stages of the Optima stuff it's funny because Jimmy Day was talking about um his last, you know, on his last episode with you guys, he was talking about starting Imagine Motorsports. Well, he and I actually met right around that time. We're both kind of like starting our careers at that point. Um, I had followed the, do you remember the Poison Dart? Oh, yeah. So I followed that car. I always thought that car was, the concept of that car was really cool. And I sought him, I found him, and he and I started talking. And I shot a couple of things for him for his shop early on. He was it's kind of nice to have that and seeing us both kind of go in our directions. And um, he's he's done very well with FM3 and the whole Optima thing. So it's pretty. It's kind of cool to see that all that come up. I'm just stoked that you listen as as much as you do. You're like, I think you yeah. know more about our, our <laughs> guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's been a good series. I've been really enjoying it. Well, thank you, and again, thanks for. Thanks for considering it an honor that we had you on, man. That yeah, wow. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, compared to your last guest, I'm not so sure I'm worthy, but I appreciate it. Oh come on, yeah. we've been actually been in consideration for a long while. Oh, okay. um, I, mean, I appreciate seriously. that. Yeah, oh. yeah. We've been that... we've been struggling to figure the schedule because I mean it's been. We want to get into what's going on for SEMA. That's been the bulk of our energy lately, but. Um, I got to tell you, it's great to finally have you on. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really fun career so far. Um, Just when you had mentioned the Oldsmobile, was the Olds your first project car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first one I ever did. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a great car. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, the last couple of years with it, I pretty wanted to crush it a few times because. I kept fixing the same three problems over and over and over and over again. And kind of like I, I kind of lost my fire with that when we had planned to do an LS swap and popular hot riding and then popular hot riding went away. So that kind of just took the steam out for me. Um, between that and then I had a, a, a slight part failure when I had my one and only Optima challenge invite and it car car um we had a problem where we were doing all the brakes and we'd put i worked with viking performance and they put their prototype berserker set on that car um and i was hoping to run the car i knew i was i knew i was pretty much a butter knife to a nuclear war but um i was just excited to go my dad came out for the trip to go to the optima we did the cruise and stuff and on the cruise we had um I had this really loud bang in the back and we're on, we're on near North Vegas. We're on our on-ramp, but the on-ramp's like a, probably a half mile bridge. It's one lane. And so I'm stuck on this bridge and I had a couple of guys stop and try to help me. And we kept hearing this problem. And I, we had, when I, the, we go back a little bit when I was redoing the brakes, um, tried putting the new rotor over the, cause I had a internal drum or internal parking brake. And, we tried putting the rotor back over and the initial one came off just fine, but I couldn't get the rotor back on the right side, right rear. And we ended up pulling the shoes out. 
well, there's an adjuster in there. I thought it was on a, I thought it was attached, but it was on a spring. And actually that's what came out and hit all the back of the lugs of the, yeah, the lug nuts or the stems, the studs inside. And it just came apart, but it didn't do much damage. I could have raised. I found out the next day or later now the next week. I found that later because, um, Rob, Rob and Brandy Phillips were kind enough to tow my car back to California for me. And we took the wheel apart and it was driving him nuts. He took the, took the back end apart and like that's all it was just a couple of small pieces and that just that always sucks but but i had that car i left it in california for the winter which was nice and then it was nice because i wanted to go do a couple events and i ended up running out in del mar and and it was was fun because i introduced my wife my wife now to that car and my whole craziness and we actually actually took her to had her fly out to Del Mar or to, to Irvine. I was doing some shoots out there, and we drove my car down to um, Del Mar for the Good Guys show, and got her in autocross and took her autocrossing and stuff. And you know, and it was funny because it was that was probably what March that year. Is that in March? That, that event's in March, right? Usually, I think it's spring. That? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like March and. By October, we were married. So. Wow. Yeah. Good wow. idea. So, yeah, that was her first taste of doing any of this crazy stuff. So, <laughs> and, and he's got a great way to remember his anniversary. It's right around Del Mar. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Actually, it was funny. The, the, the moment I remember us talking originally was I was actually in Mooresville on a photo shoot when we started talking originally. So I always have that date in the back of my head. So we were just talking about that tonight, actually. So very cool. It's funny how like a typical car guy, everything you remember is either based around a car show date or what car you were driving at the time. <laughs> yeah, and I was shooting Kyle Bush's car at the time too, which is funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That's just awesome. That's how I remember everything gets based chronologically around that. It's mm-hmm. like. Somebody could say, like, we remember what? Oh, wait, wait, wait. What was I driving? Okay, yeah. All right, we had that car. This is what was going on. Yeah, but so your best memories are on that, you know? My best memories, you know, from from when we lived in Tucson until now has always been had something to do with cars for the most part. I yeah. s- still am a firm believer this group of this insane group of industry people, or not even just industry, but just the car collective altogether is always been the nicest and most generous and most helpful people you've ever met. Oh, hands down. Yep. Yep. It is. It's crazy. It's like a huge family. Yeah. It was kind of like what you're saying with, I think it was Jimmy, right? When you're talking about the equalizer, I mean, you can have all these different demographics. You can have all these different age groups, but the common denominator is always the car. Mm -hmm. So it's fun for me because when I can get, when I can work with a car owner and I can see them get excited and the car's going in print and that's like the pinnacle to their existence with that vehicle is getting actually get on the page of a magazine. You know, that's always been, that's always the fun part for me when the guys are just as excited as you are to be doing the job. So as far as talking about getting a car into a magazine, do Mm -hmm. you think in the modern age with, you know, the advent of social media, uh, digital publications, all that kind of stuff, do you think it's diluted it at all? Where if you walk up to someone at a show and you say, hey, you know, hi, I'm Robert. I'd like to shoot your car for a magazine. 
do you think they kind of go, meh, whatever? You know, it's it's been viewed 736,000 times no. on Instagram. No, because I can tell you, I've had shoots where it's a digital-only shoot, and the car owner is, like, deflated and wants nothing to do with you. He wants it over as fast as possible. Now, if you tell him it's going in print, oh, hell, they'll give you all the time in the world for the most part. So I think there's... I, I, with everything going so digital, it's kind of the reason why Wheel Hub went the way we did because we still feel like there is a there is a market, there is a place for this because guys, I mean, even the builders want their car seen. I mean, you look on social media, you're looking on a, you know, your phone for the most part. I mean, I bet if you look at any analytics, 95% of all viewership of anything on the internet is on your phone. Oh, yeah, and that's scary. You're not going to see, yeah, you can't see the detail, you can't, you know, it's just, it just doesn't come across the same way. It looks so much different in print. So I it just, I think that's the antithesis of what car guys hope to get to is get it in print. So I, I don't think that part of it's dead. I think it just has to be reimagined for the most part. Definitely. You guys are, are really doing that. Uh, you know, I mean, with Wheel Hub Magazine, what's great is we're, we're coming out of an era where we, we saw a lot of magazines just go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some of them were real pillars in the industry. You know, they were the stuff that you always, when you went to the newsstand, you could expect to see that magazine there. And over the years, you watch them kind of shrink away, and pretty soon it was almost like picking up a pamphlet. You're like, ooh, a page and a half of tech, four pages of ads, and, yeah, and editorial. And um, you guys kind of took it upon yourselves in an era when everybody kept saying print is dead, print is dead, print is dead. I've been and, hearing that for 10 years. Oh yeah. I was going to say that's been and almost from the time that I had my first publication, people were like, Oh, magazines are going to die. Yeah. And sadly, yeah. like when we lost like custom router, that was the first magazine that really took me under their wing and just published my crap for whatever reason, because they were that <laughs> starved for content. But, um, no, yeah. Yeah. dude you're one of the best artists i know well well thanks man i'm, I'm glad that you only know like four of us so, <laughs> <laughs> but being grouped in with that group is pretty good man. <laughs> no but thank you man that's damn i'm touched i wipe a tear away now um you uh you guys not only set out to put out a magazine but you guys really put out kind of what is the equivalent of almost like a coffee table book that was the kind of the point yeah that was that was our hope was to make it something that a guy would never throw away um would keep it as a collectible almost i mean i didn't think we had a collectible in mind at first but um the crazy thing is we get requests for the beta all the time because we only printed 100 of those and we have one guy actually on instagram one of our followers who is just like we'll pay anything i think for it and um we it, need to find to one me, of these guys. This is yeah. this is gonna make our trip to Vegas even better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that um and that book didn't even it just had for the most part just had placement type. But I think the idea of having something that you know, that rare, I guess you could say. Um but that was the only reason why we did that was I mean, when we were starting to approach people on it, you can't you can't sell that just by talking about it. Cause we're like, yeah, right. Whatever loser. Um, but physically having something that's the same size, the same paperweight, similar page count, 
similar layout. I mean, once you did that, I mean, I, I remember because I can backtrack a little bit. So um, two years ago, Stephen Kim, who's the publisher editor, um, he and I have been working together on stories for God, 10 years, 12 years now. Um, he actually was staff on Hot Rodder, on Hot Rod Magazine before that, um, and then moved to Texas. And then um, he actually came to me about two years ago with this idea, and I'm like, dude, let's do this. Um, the only problem is neither one of us knew how to do layout. And so we had struggled. We had contacted a couple of um, – there was one layout artist he really liked that was part of that Motor Trend Classics. I forgot the gentleman's name off the top of my head, but um, we approached him and it was just, we couldn't afford it. There was just no way. Um, kind of shelved it for about a year because we're trying to figure out what to do. And then late, early last year, I was kind of getting into a point where I wanted to do, I wanted to make a change or try something or get to something going. I called him up and said, we got to get this thing off the ground. And, and that's what we did. We got it by the time we actually got all our ducks in a row and actually got the thing printed. It was September of last year or late August. We had it printed. We sent it out into August. And then by SEMA, we would, we had a number of advertisers signed on. We actually, at that point, actually before Pomona, when we launched it, we had about 60 subscribers before we had a print product. So that was, pretty, that was pretty neat. Um, but it's been fun to watch this thing grow. Cause like on social media, we had like, I don't think less than a thousand followers before Pomona and after an hour of like 4,200, something like that, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in that short of time, it's good growth. Yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. But, um, but it's, it's been a fun project. I mean, the, the whole thing is just, I mean, the industry has been very, very good to us in terms of accepting it and really getting behind it and, so I can't thank everybody enough who's been involved so far. So Promona was our launch site where we debuted the whole thing. We had Chad Reynolds did a voiceover commercial for us to run through the PA. So I want to thank him for his efforts on that. And then we, as a group, we need to really thank Eric Pratt for helping us. Um, he subleased a section of, we rented a section of his booth. Um, and we were right in the middle of everything. So, I, I just think uh, with that, it, it was just a huge, huge amount of gratitude I have, we have for him letting us do that because that really helped kick us off. Um, so we really appreciate that support from those guys. So One of the things we try to do with the podcast is try to bring value out there and kind of show people the nuts and bolts of putting something together. So as far as like an advertising plan went, did you guys have that kind of in place moving ahead or did you kind of come up to it and say, well, we're here at this point, let's go sell some ads. Uh, we actually, the, that was the idea of the beta partially was to help. We didn't have subscribers. We had to pay for the book somehow. And so we all put in what we could to get the thing started. Um, without getting too much detail, but the whole point of that was just to get industry interested in it and see if this is even viable at first. That was the reason why we did the beta. Right. So it was funny because I remember the day we sent it. Well, so we met um, Rodney Hutcherson, who's our designer in graphics. Um, Steven had met him and showed him the idea. And 
he came on board right away. Um, and he, he, he's been phenomenal with us. Um, he's really helped look at the book and get to where we wanted it. Um, but what was funny about Rodney, he's never done a magazine before. So we all thought, well, that's perfect. Cause we didn't want to have the same, you know, we wanted to start completely fresh and not have any expectations or anything. We just wanted to be, you know, just do our thing and hopefully it would translate, which it did because I remember the day it went out and I remember the days when we knew it was going to hit people's desks and I was on the phone with Steven and he had sent one to Don Hardy and I was on the phone with him for about 10 minutes and all of a sudden I got a text from Don Hardy. I got to call you back. So half hour later I get back on the phone with him and Don signed up with an ad right away. So, I mean, it was just, it, it was just real fun to watch that process happen and just seeing everybody get behind us. And so, I mean, I, I truly appreciate everybody's work and we're almost done with our first year. So that's really cool. So our plan is to go to Pomona next year. So we'll have another booth there. So we were, we were talking a couple of days ago. You had sent me a text and it was kind of funny because it was a picture of uh, Mariani's model a mm-hmm. and he had jokingly said, you know, hey, it's my fourth time shooting this car. Maybe this time I'll get it right. Yeah. And I was kind of laughing about that. And it, it really got me thinking about this. And it's one of the questions I'd wanted to ask you in this episode. You know, being around it for the time you have, um, as far as shooting the same car multiple times, and I'm sure you've had to do this, you know, for different publications. I mean, being freelance and everything like that. Mm-hmm. How do you keep it fresh? I mean, knowing, you know, going, I, knowing, I went to, I went to the shop that day and I was talking to Moose and Alex and I said, you know, I love you guys to death, but I really don't want to be here <laughs> because <laughs> I've shot that car. I shot it in metal. I've shot it for street rider or I shot it for street rider and metal. I shot it for street rider finished. I shot it for us finished and it won triple crown of riding this year at shades of the past. So I had to reshoot it again and all is well. I mean, I tried to. Luckily, I did have different stages because when I shot it for us, for Wheel Hub, I shot it in the shop because it was snowing out, so I couldn't take it outside. And I kind of wanted to shoot in a shop atmosphere anyway um, for that one in particular. And then, you know, Street Rider happened to be a nice overcast day. And when I shot it this week, actually, um, it was last Thursday. And when I shot there, we had kind of a mixed sky, so I had some you know, some bright light on it and found a, a background they've used before over by their shop, but it seemed to work okay. So um, it, it's hard because you always have in the back of your mind, I always remember the shots that I've done. So I'm trying to find different ways to shoot the same thing, but sometimes you find yourself, that's the most, that's the most um, shoots I've ever done on one car. Um, Cause I've shot, you know, I've shot a couple of Troy's cars in metal and then a done. And that's always different because they take on a different life when they're done. Um, I noticed that a lot with the Torino because I'd shot the Torino for Hot Rod and Steel in studio. And then I shot it on location recently for us for issue three. And it was totally different. Um, I love shooting cars in bare metal when they're rollers. That's, that's the most fun. You really see, that's when you really see what the builders do too. And, that was one of the things that we'll have wanted to show is really get in the nitty gritty with the, you know, with the, 
with the builders and show off what they can do. Um, I mean, I remember over the last couple of years, I've had probably a dozen shoots where the owner wants nothing to do with the magazine. They, it's more about the builder at that point. So you kind of, I, I remember having the writers having to literally make up stories for different builders or different owners because the owners want to be anonymous for whatever reason and stuff. And that's always hard. Um, so then, you know, and Steven said it best when we were talking to people about this, you know, the cars just keep getting better and better and better and better. And then on the media side, I mean, you get, I mean, it's either it's on digital or, you know, it gets maybe six pages in most of the books. And it's unfortunate in times when it gets like that because um, it doesn't get as much. The details are missed a lot of times. You try to get as much as details, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll turn in, usually I'll turn in 50 photos and I'll, they'll run 15. So that's, that's the hard part. Cause I'll spend a lot of time. Just, I get sucked in the details. I remember, I remember when I first shot for ring brothers razor, I spent so much time on details. I almost forgot to finish the whole shoot. So I had to go back the next day and finish the shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily they live close enough. So I live close enough to them. So it wasn't a big deal, but yeah, it was the hard part was getting Jim ring to stop doing burnouts. That my light was going. My light was going. We did a burnout shot, and he just it wasn't good enough. I want to do it again. We did it five times, but God love him. He loves to do that. <laughs> do, do you have any shoots where maybe you didn't have all the materials, you know, or equipment that you would normally like to have for a shoot, and kind of had to make do or like improvise on the fly? Yeah, it actually happened this week with our good friend Will Posey. <laughs> <laughs> I was shooting that. I was shooting that truck. He just finished a forty-two, I think it is. And Stephen gave me a great location in Fort Worth, and the place he shot before. I just love it. And I didn't. I wasn't using my equipment. And there's nothing wrong with what he gave. What I was using of his, but I didn't have a few things that I w- would normally have. So yeah, it was a little, little sketchy at that time. But it came out okay. I felt pretty good about it. So. But yeah, it's always hard when you don't have the stuff that you're comfortable with, you know. Right. Or you have to learn things on the fly, and you're like, mm-hmm. just download this PDF, and you too can learn how to use these lights. <laughs> yeah, but at the same note, it made me think a little bit and challenge myself. It's like, what can I do differently? And it actually worked out really well. So sometimes that can work to your benefit. It made me think outside the box a little bit, because I we're at this so in downtown Fort Worth is this old post office so there's the post office and there's a building behind it where they house all the mail delivery trucks so there's an alleyway between them where it's the loading dock and it's got really cool lighting back there and it, it, we shot it after after sunset um, and there was this corrugated fiberglass wall there and it was so that corrugated fiberglass was kind of like that yellowish color and then there was a there was an incandescent light behind that, so it was illuminating it kind of like like a half circle. So I was looking at that, and I was like, pull the truck out right in front of it. And then there's a sodium vapor parking light right above that, so that's a whole other color that comes out. So that came out like really greenish, and then the the yellow of and the orange of that corrugated fiberglass and that blue and black truck. And I actually took one light, literally light painted over it, just left the model light on, and just kind of walked past it. That was that was when I, probably my favorite shot of the weekend. That was just awesome. And I sh- Will's looking at the cameras. 
face is falling on the ground. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you do much uh, much film stuff anymore? Or have you pretty much all gone digital? Um, I I pretty much left film early on when when digital started really taking a hold. I really miss film because um, I my background is commercial photography. I still treat I try to treat all this as much as I can commercially, but um, but I used to shoot on large format, so four by five inch film, eight by ten inch film, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know the you heard of a Deerdorf camera? What those are? The wooden cameras, the bellows, right? Oh, okay. The large format camera. So I've been trying to find one because I'd love to have one on my shelf. And I actually found my own. I had an old Graflex, a four by five Graflex, which press photographers used to use back in the. 40s, I think it was, and um, so it was a little 4x5, it was like a field camera, I could take it out, I was doing landscapes with it, and I want to go back and actually like to shoot like a couple of shots on film, 4x5 or whatever with with us or whatever, just for fun actually, um, but yeah, I always miss film, I, film is so much better than digital, I don't care what anybody says, yeah, you have more latitude and stuff, but the thing I loved about film was, especially the older cameras, you, you, I mean, the body doesn't, it's just air. It doesn't, doesn't really do anything for you. It's all in the glass. And sometimes that glass could have, some of it was really precise and beautiful, and some of it had imperfections, but the imperfections would, would give you, you know, these brilliant effects sometimes. So to me, that sometimes the digital gets too sterile and too digital, if you will, um, and I find some modern cameras a little too digital, but what I like, I've used a Canon 5D series, and I bought into that system on the first camera, and to me, that's always been the most film-like look of any camera I've ever used um, in terms of digital. So I've always stuck with that, and that's always treated me really well. Um, and yes, you can shoot much lower light, and you can do all the crazy things, but the process speeds you up too fast and I've made mistakes cause I'm moving too fast, but film slows you down. It makes you think. And the beauty of film was you had to do it right in camera. There was no Photoshop. There was no, whatever you had on film is what you, ter- what you were done with. And right. I'm kind of thankful I didn't do that in cars so much because, um, I don't, I don't know. I'd be, it, you know, you'd go through an awful lot of film to get it right. Um, but that being said, I'd still like to craft something like that with, with film. It just To me, it would be just a fun exercise. I, I just miss the process of it so much. So did you do a lot of darkroom stuff yourself, or did you send things out, or did you, did you cover from one end to the other when you were, when you were doing I back did, in the old days? When I was in school, I lived in the darkroom because I shot – everything was black and white, and I literally – so our school, my school I went to – we had individual dark rooms and the only way to get into those was to get to know the guys in the lab. So I got to know the guys in the lab. I found a dark room that I really liked. So I used to give me the keys through the day and I would take all my books there in the morning, print in the morning. And then, and when I had to go to class, I'd leave, lock everything up, leave everything going, come back, print, leave for class, come back, print. I'd be there until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Usually. Um, I did dabble with, color processing and color printing it, I didn't enjoy that as much. Um, I wasn't very good at that. I was, that was way more precise, and I just didn't have the 
patience for it, I guess. So black and white's always been really fun for me. Actually, I mean, Steve and I talked about this. We'd actually, we actually toyed with the idea of actually doing like a black and white feature. That would be pretty cool, actually. At, at today's level and the way we're doing it, I think it would be pretty cool. I have a couple of cars in mind that I'd like to do it with. Again, now, one of one I've already shot, but I'd still do it again. Now, would you do a painted car or a bare metal car? Ooh. Oh, a painted car. The one paint, bare metal would fucking badass than that. See, that would be I, that would be the way to do a black and white shoot is do a oh, bare yeah. metal car. That you whole remember, raw feeling to it. Well, do you know the the car that Detroit Speed built, the Matt White car, is '69 Camaro. Right, that was the car I think I would do in black and white. That would be cool. It actually, I actually, I actually did. I converted one of my color shots to black and white. I think done right, that car would look really good in black and white. When you go to a photo shoot, say you've already scheduled a car, you know a little bit about the car. When you get there, do you immediately start un, uh, you know, un, opening all your camera equipment up, or you just make a bunch of laps around the car, just taking a look and kind of getting a feel for what it is, and start looking at potential shots? Yeah, do you spend a, a lot of time with the car. I do actually. Um, I don't like whip out the camera right away. I usually, like if I go to, I'll just use Troy as an example because that's always easy. When I go to the shop, I'll spend. I'm, I'll make sure I go and be there, you know, well enough ahead of time to know so I can kind of chat with him, the guys, and talk about stuff and just bullshit, you know, basically. Because um, I haven't seen him in a while usually, and I'll walk around the car and look at it and kind of get ideas and I'll see stuff, but. Um, I'll see stuff as I'm shooting too, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I'll spend a little bit of time kind of gauging what I want to do and all. I have usually have visions in my head before, well in advance, because most of the time I know the car. Um, but like, I just shot. Do um, you know that you guys had the Pomona last year? Mm-hmm. Do you yeah, remember yeah. Dale Bash's car, the '36, the black '36? It was oh, up yeah. near the stage. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's the one that uh, I picked to win the award. That okay. was my choice. Yeah, we we beautiful. we loved that car. We only had one thing, yeah. and that's probably what cost it the whole deal. But yeah, yeah. the car was absolutely gorgeous. So yeah. I, he let I, us get I, up on the stand and take a look at that car. Yeah, he's yeah he did burnouts for me with that car. <laughs> but yeah, we had it. At sh- I went to his shop and shot it, and um, I wanted to do a top down on that car. I seen a lot of that in commercial work that I do that with a lot of exotics and stuff. And I try to do like on a convertible, I tried to do a high shot, but I really want to do almost a straight down shot. And he's like, Oh, we can go to the lumber yard. There's an old lumber yard, like right next to a shop. And they have the inside the building. And there's these, you know, racks and racks of, you know, framed out two by fours that are hold all the, all the wood racks. And they had these, these platforms that went from one side of the shop to the other because the, it was high and it was like 20 feet in the air. So trucks would drive through and they'd stack tr- lumber on the trucks on the, from either side of the building. So you'd be on these little catwalks. Well, I don't know why these guys, I mean, most guys, these guys probably weigh, you know, a couple hundred pounds carrying a few hundred pounds worth of sticks across the, across that catwalk. There was, it was literally, I think there were two by sixes. There were two, two by sixes spanning that. And then there was, the planks on top of that, but there was no middle structure. It was literally like two sticks with some planks going the opposite direction. And it was wobbly as shit. And I was, <laughs> I wasn't going to stand up there. I couldn't because my tripod had to be up there and I couldn't let it move. And every time you breathe, that whole platform would move. So I set up the camera 
and thankfully today's technology, I could run the camera from my phone down below. So I could be there looking at what I'm seeing on my camera and light the car. So that, that was, that's the beauty of today's technology because you can literally, I can wirelessly tether my camera to my phone and operate my camera from the phone so I can adjust everything from my phone, which is really cool. So what do you, uh, what do you shoot for a camera now? It's a 5D Mark IV. Okay. So it's a 30 megapixel. Yeah, that's a very nice camera. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I thought my last, I had a, I've had every one of those in the line. I've had from the classic, from the 5D all the way up to now. And the last camera I had was the Mark III, and I thought, yeah, you can't beat this. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> they improved the sensor so much. that um, It's interesting to see what's going to happen because they just released a new mirrorless camera. But it's pretty, it's still pretty pretty new for them so i'm waiting for them to kind of it's, see where it goes it's pretty new i've been watching that too so it's like yeah ah, it's like, that yeah it's basically a mirrorless 5d mark 4 that's basically what it is so i'm gonna wait and see what happens when they come out with something because it, it the frame rate even if it, you couldn't shoot it with sports frame rate sucks on it and and in, and in silent mode you can't shoot it you can only shoot it in single frame. You can't do continuous framing. So if you were like in a place where it had to be quiet and you had to have a high shutter rate, you couldn't do it because they'd only shoot one frame at a time, which is unfortunate. I'm sure they'll improve that over time. Um, like Sony has Sony's first camera sucked and now they're getting way better. Um, so I, I see that developing, but it, to me, I've, I've played with a couple of mirrorless cameras and I love that. I love the click sound with a with a um, mirrored camera and with an SLR DSLR. I just love the the tech, you know, the mechanics of it. Basically, I know when it's taking a picture and I can right. feel it, and I can hear it, and to me, that's that's part of the experience. When you take that away, it's kind of like that'd be like racing electric cars. Oh, well, there you go. Well, thank you. That was that was a question. I was kind of curious what you were actually shooting with. I, I I've seen a bunch of your stuff and I like it. It's like, all right, I wonder what he's using for a for a camera here. Yeah, camera really doesn't matter. I mean, that's the problem. Like, I see this a lot because I actually teach some classes in. So we have a community college here in town. And I I work with the um, the continuing education side of the school. So I'll do these four week programs with people who are stepping up from a like a point and shoot to a DSLR and everybody's like freaking gear happy and they got to have this and got this. Like, no, you don't. You just need to have, you know, it's not about what you do with it. It's what you know what you can do with that versus, you know, it's, it's just funny to see the mindset with the gear and people think that, and a lot of people, a lot of things you'll see like on social media, they're all going, Oh my God, I got to have the next body. What about your, and they're using like the crappiest lens on there. So you have, right. the, you know, you have this, five or eight thousand dollar camera body but using a two hundred dollar lens on it <laughs> i think it's a good picture i wonder why i mean i've had the same the same three lenses that i initially <laughs> bought i still have them and the quality of the lenses haven't gone away but the cameras have gotten better you know so and they've only since canon has only has only since improved on two of the lenses and one of the lenses is the 70 to 200 they have three of those, and they're sharp as hell. They're all, you know, all three of those. They have three of those lenses. So there's like a, there's a slow one, and there's 
the super fast one with no IS and the super fast one with IS, which is their flagship lens. And all three lenses perform pretty much identically. It's so sharp and beautiful. And the only thing they changed on it was they changed the color of the paint of the body and they put updated, you know, the updated um, coatings on the lenses. That was it. They're virtually the same. And, you know, you can't improve on something that's that good to begin with. So, you know, I mean, I've shot with, I had a um, friend of mine who used to work for Classic Trucks, West Drolishak, had bought a, I think it was like a 50 or 80 millimeter, it was a twin reflex lens. It was a screw mount. And he found a place at a, like one of those photo swap meet things that somebody made a mount or a screw mount to go on a cannon on a cannon mount. And I was playing with it when I was out there with them in California and I borrowed it for two years. And <laughs> two years. It was, I mean, the, the effects that you get on it and I mean, it wasn't the sharpest lens, but it had such a beautiful softness to it. And yeah, it was really cool. So, and the craziest thing I ever saw was actually was on a, I was, I was in LA. I usually go out to LA like in the wintertime because there's I can't do much here outside if it's we have a lot of snow and stuff. So I usually go out there and shoot because I can't not be working for four months. Um, so I was with Steve Rupp one day and we went to this film shoot. They were taking his car out to a film shoot for commercial and they were using Canon. They're using 5D Mark II, so it was the first DSLR with you know video capabilities i have one of those yeah i have one too um but they had these you know eighty hundred thousand dollar cinema lenses that were used on 35 millimeter cinema cameras and they adapted them there's a there's a place in australia that made these adapters for those oh, right on. massive lenses so they actually took one of the luggage carts out of the hotel and threw it in their van and that was their dolly for that camera it was crazy <laughs> i was just like in awe of that Ooh, okay good part <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. Better ask for forgiveness than permission. Something. That's, right? That's there you right. go. If somebody was starting out today and they wanted to get into photography, you know, I don't expect you to endorse a certain brand or anything like that because you're not getting paid for that here. Yeah. But is there a camera you'd suggest starting out with? Um, I would just start out with a basic DSLR that you can manually, manually make all your adjustments manually. There's no, I mean, every single one of them is going to have an auto feature, but to be able to adjust your ISO and your shutter speed and your aperture all independently and just shoot that. Um, what I tell my students is I told them that at first to shoot in JPEG, which I normally don't do. Um, I only tell them that just because it's close enough to like when I shot film, like on set, if I'm shooting a large format thing, I would shoot Polaroid, so I'd test my lighting and see what I was getting. So um, you didn't have that luxury at 35 millimeter. You just shot and hope for the best. You had to know how you had to know how the meter worked, and it's kind of the same thing. You have to know the basics of photography. Um, it's easier, a little bit easier now because you can you have three ways to make adjustments to your exposure. When you had film, you had a set film speed, and you had to adjust you know, the other components around that. Well, now you've got, you know, more latitude because you can adjust three on the fly, which you couldn't do before. So just understanding the basics, understanding how the meter works, understanding light and how reflections work, because especially in cars, it's all about reflections. So 
understanding those those principles will help you. I mean, it's the only it's the only way you can really do it. And another analogy I use in my class is like it's like racing because racing you, you you have a talent for it, but the only you know, these guys drive all the time. That's all they do. So if you're shooting all the time, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn. You're going to see something. You're going to figure out something. I mean, I figured out a lot of things by accident a lot of times, which is kind of cool. So um, sometimes your happy accidents, if you will, kind of work to your benefit. And, you know, if you're not always learning as you're doing, I mean, I still learn stuff now. I mean, I don't tend, I don't believe, I don't like to think I know everything about what I'm doing. I'm trying to, I try to pick up tidbits and stuff from either other people or look at on, on social media and look at other photos and get inspiration there. But, you know, there's always something I'm trying to do better or trying to do a different way. Um, and you fail and you, that's how you learn. You know, you have to fail to learn. So thank you very much. That was, that was some good stuff right there. Well, I appreciate that. For anyone interested in the magazine, what is the best way to find you guys online? Um, you can find us, on our social media outlets, we're on Facebook and Instagram. It's um, We'll Have Magazine on Facebook and We'll Have Mag on Instagram. And then on our website, you can get subscriptions through there. You can buy, I think we have a Shop Now button on Facebook now too. Um, but it's wheelhubmag.com is the website. And you can buy subscriptions there. We actually, for you guys, we actually did a special, there's a two-for-one special we're doing now. So if your listeners go to wheelhub mag. I think it's forward slash round six. They can go there and get a special deal right now. We'll keep that up for a couple months. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, sir. Thank you for, for spending a part of your evening with us. No pleasure. I'm really love what you guys do. I think you guys are doing awesome. Um, you've had some really cool people on. Um, interesting too, because I, I gotta tell you my probably, my favorite, I've listened to this one now four times, and that's Foose's interview. Because I, I mean, I've seen everything written about him, but I've never heard his stories like he told them. So that was a lot of fun to listen to. Well, thanks. And that was that was a lot of hard work on Brad's behalf. Yeah. yeah. I've been mm-hmm. wanting to work with him for years, but never had, the, I've never really been able to meet him. And it's kind of hard now with, you know, after all the TV stuff. It's, it's kind of hard to get access to him like it was, you know, before. So he's got, he's working on that Jag, that E-Type right now that I really like to do something with. Well, it's actually sitting. It hasn't been touched because he's working on SEMA stuff right now. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, that'd be a car that I'd be interested in personally. It's pretty crazy. I, yeah. was just, I was just down there yesterday doing some stuff. So, yeah, it's a pretty crazy car. How's this truck coming? Uh, the one for SEMA? Yeah. It's pretty much done. That's cool. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what that looks like. So, it's a cool truck. Yeah, but you know, again, we appreciate you. Um, let me talk about the magazine a little bit and help them get the word out there. We'll be Steve and I will be at SEMA walking around, so we'll definitely have to hook up with you guys. Yeah, and um, definitely. I, I get to go early actually, so I'm actually I work with you know Chris Shelton, right? Mm-hmm. I work with Chris Shelton, Primo, and Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is actually the one who organizes this. So we shoot all the new products coming in. So I have to be there the Thursday. I have to get there Thursday night to set up Friday. So we shoot Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
and then Monday is a teardown leftover day. And then so all the new products that come in the SEMA, we have to photo between the four of us, we have four different sets set up and we have to photograph everything that comes through the door for the new product showcase. So that's Wow. That's been a lot of fun. I've been doing that one. This will be my third year with them. So it's it's actually quite a quite a hoot to do. Get to see everything firsthand and the guys are really fun to work with and we had a good time. So it goes by pretty quick. And then you stay the rest of the week for the show? Usually, yeah. I mean, my wow. intention, my last couple, the first year I did that, I was just going to go home early, but I'm staying a couple extra days. So, hmm. but yeah, this year I'll be there until Thursday. I think I'm leaving Thursday. Wow. So I haven't been able to go to Ignited because I've always had to get home because I've had a class to teach that week or something. I've had to leave early. So I know several people, friends of mine in the Builder Showcase. Yeah. And then my friend, um, Peter Newell's and you know competition specialties. Right. He's out of Massachusetts. I shot his car. He just redid his car again, and I shot it after he brought it up to Detroit. And we shot it at my friend Matt Gerjek's flood alley in Detroit. And we shot it in the shop, and he's got an outdoor space with Holly, so he's actually tuning the car up right now because he's going to drive it from Boston all the way to Vegas and back. Oh, cool! Right, so it's on. kind of it, you got to follow Peter competition especially he's gonna be doing that soon so he he's he's an animal it'll be really i mean he's not he's not he drives that thing in the winter time so it's his daily <laughs> it's he's an animal it's a small block twin turbo 67 oh, camaro oh, Street. <laughs> in massachusetts Wait. in the winter <laughs> yeah he, he's awesome. a He's a really cool dude, and he's not afraid to beat on that thing. And yeah, he he and his wife drive the piss out of that car. It's great. Right on, dude. Thank you again. Yeah. No problem. Appreciate you guys having me again. No, we appreciate you being on. Yeah, I know it, it took a little while to work this out, but like I said, I wanted to get you in here before the SEMA show, and I'm glad we did. Well, thanks again. Thank you. On behalf of, behalf of Stephen and Rodney and Will Hub, we appreciate it. So. Yeah. Keep putting out a great product. That that thing's phenomenal. I oh, appreciate that. So. Go, dude. Love the first one. First one's been sitting on my coffee table since I got it from you. Wife yeah. will start watching one of our shows. I'll just pick it up and start going yeah. through it. <laughs> Stephen actually, we did a Stephen did a survey recently, and one of the questions on the survey was, um, "What's were you most likely to throw it away, keep it for a while, or keep it forever?" And like. I think I don't remember what the response was. Like the biggest response was "keep it forever." Yeah, so that was that was. Like, we know we're doing the right thing. So, well, you know, the other subscription that we kind of briefly talked about. I, I've been a subscriber to that one since issue number one, and I plan with the same with yours. I mean, okay. it's I, I I put those in the same echelon. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, we love the other guys too. So yeah, yeah, they put out a great product. Yeah. It's great because and there's a difference too. One's not a, a clone of the other, or vice exactly. versa. And that's why I right. like it. And, and honestly, what we did was we took, you know, we looked at blank book, we looked at the other blank book, and then looked at other European books. And we were looking like at Octane and kind of a little bit like a Top Gear has a magazine too. Kind of looking at them, Octane was the one we were really focused on. So we kind of took, you know parts of each and kind of like figured out a way to kind of put it in there. Cause we always felt like there was a disconnect because, you know, you had something for 
more traditional guys, but you had nothing for the muscle car and hot rods. And, you know, we wanted to make it more like a lifestyle. So, I mean, if you saw the first one, we had Eric Pratt from Pinkies. We had his brewery in there as part of the story, which is really, I mean, that, I mean, that, that place was really awesome. And, um, and we want to do more of that as we can. We want to bring in more photographers and more feature artists. We want to have, um, you know, guest editorials. I think Brian, and I talked to you about that recently. So we have to, we we'll to get our heads together at FEMA about that. Definitely. Um, I think you're going to love my article on the Round Six podcast and massage parlor. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I didn't tell you about that yet. Um, we got to talk to you about. I hear your job descriptions changing this coming week. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is he Masseuse. the happy-ending guy? Oh, yeah. 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 No, it's yeah. happy, no, but not for him. Uh, <laughs> full, full, hopelessly, not a full-release uh, happy ending. <laughs> well, it's not going to be happy-ending. It's going to be like disappointing. Yeah, like Happy for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Disappointing ending. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Awesome. I loved issue one. Had a 69 Camaro and a Lamborghini Miura. I mean, there's two of my favorites right there. I was Have sold. You- have you seen that story online? The which the Mura story? No, yeah. Um, I don't know if I have online. I, I think is it the same car that Carini found? Yep. Okay. Actually, if you read if you read the story, we actually yeah. talk about that in there. Mm-hmm. And okay. yeah, Jeremy actually knew the guy that unearthed the car, and that's how he got all the access to it and the photos of it. He actually followed the car to actually. I remember he went to I think the new owners in Connecticut. And so he went to Connecticut and shot that car with much of his other. He has this collector has a you know five twelve BB a blender boxer and a couple other high end mm-hmm. Ferraris and stuff. And so I know he went to their collection to shoot a couple of their cars with that car. Wow. Um, and I, I mean I've seen I mean I've seen a lot of digital outlets put that story up, but it's only been like maybe ten photos at the most. Yeah, and not to discredit what they did but i mean we i think we kind of told it in a different way so right you took it, was, it to a completion you know yeah right. it was great you got to see it come out and yeah and just go through the whole gen you know, the whole genesis of the car and mm-hmm. how it came about and um and really get the nuts and bolts behind the story behind it so i think that's to me that's why this product is imp- i think it's important for the industry too because It'll tell a story like that. You can't necessarily. Nobody's going to have the intention span to scroll on their computer screen for that long. Right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Well, cool. Thanks again, guys. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, sir. You have a great night, sir. You as well. Well, thanks again to our guest Robert McGaffin <laughs> for uh, joining us here tonight and talking a little bit about his career, his photography, his oh gosh, his experiences, and of course, Wheelhub Magazine. Um, guys, uh, I can't say thanks enough. Yeah, Robert was great. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, it's absolutely great job. And man, we're looking forward to uh, to hooking up at the SEMA show. And uh, well, we only got a couple episodes left before that big week, so uh, be sure to hang in there with us. And again, uh, if you get a chance, uh, head over to uh, Wheelhub Magazine's website where they have set up a special for you guys. Uh, that's www.wheelhubmag.com forward slash round six. That's R-O-U-N-D-S-I-X. That gets you a two-for-one special. And thanks again to those guys for uh, for putting that out for 
our listeners. Um, well, hey, uh, gosh, um, I, I wouldn't dare say that I am a more photogenic Brian, but I am definitely <laughs> a, uh, a much more enlightened Brian. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very low ISO Brad. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a photo term, but I'm just a uh, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com.